Hey, welcome to Dream Aloud with Kendra. It's a podcast for black women who want to live limitless lives. Be inspired by others who have dared to step outside of their comfort zone to live their hopes and dreams and passions. Now let's get started because life is way too short not to live the way that you want. Hello, everybody. We are live. I am here with Dr. Ayana Hardaway. Now, it's hard for me to say Dr. Hardaway because I'm used to saying Tyler. Tyler. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm just like, no, she's, she is Hardaway. And she is my next guest on Second Acts, Phenomenal Women Who Pivot. And talk about the pivots, you are going to be blown away with all of the changes that she's made in her life just to pursue her heart's desire. And so I'm so excited about the things that we're going to talk about. I met Ayana in higher ed. Yes. A fellow higher ed. She was, you were working, were you working on your master's or your PhD when we met? I think you were finishing up your master's. When we met, I had finished the master's, but I was working on the PhD. I was probably applying to the PhD programs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're still in grants management. Yes. But this series is about following your heart. Yes. Carving out the spaces that you need to carve out to live life on your own terms. Mm-hmm. I call it live, work, and play your way. That's the only way to live life. You only get one. There are no do-overs. And so this second act series is about all of the pivots that we make mm-hmm. to live the life that we want. And you're you're part of my under 40 set. So yeah. <laughs> I want to let everybody know you're never too young to make no. it. You're never too young to just follow your dreams. And if you follow your dreams um, from the beginning, There'll yes. still be pivots, but it won't be those those big 180s. You might be a yeah. degree turn, 45, you know, yeah. <laughs> never a, a straight line from a, from point A to point B. That's the shortest route, but we mm-hmm. never get to take that. Life takes us on turns and different things, mm-hmm. and we just have to roll with the punches and just be resilient. Absolutely. So, tell us what you're doing now. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Kendra, for having me and for inviting me into this space. I just have to say I'm so excited to be with you um, and to be part of this. So I am currently, um, I have uh, several hats, <laughs> and I guess it speaks to the pivoting and really finding a way to marry all of my experiences and my passions mm-hmm. without compromising one or another, right? And so mm-hmm. Um, Currently, I am a contracts and grants officer for uh, Stanford University. I work for a national laboratory there, a recent shift in career for me. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, And I'm also uh, a critical qualitative researcher and sort of an educational sociologist. It's um, very novice and still sort of early career in that way. Um, But I defended my dissertation um, from my graduate program in 2019, and um, it's just been an interesting ride. So I have about about 12 years of experience in higher education working in administration, working in higher ed administration. And I've always had an interest for this critical scholarship and uh, the collegiate experiences of black students and particularly black women's experiences. 
And so I worked in uh, contracts and grants and sponsored projects for a number of years uh, while pursuing graduate school. And um, I came to a point where I was sort of trying to decide which direction I wanted to go in with this idea that I had to choose uh, and pick which direction. And so um, I'm proud that I'm able to sort of combine, again, all of the experiences that I've accumulated over the years. And I'm still able to engage in research and to engage in scholarship. I, I enjoy writing. I enjoy meeting new people. I enjoy centering uh, the experiences and, and using uh, critical discourse and inquiry to do so. So it's it really has been just an amazing journey. Um, <laughs> you, get that I've, do, you get to do a little bit of administration, yeah. research, and you're an instructor as well? I teach as well. I do. I, I teach as an adjunct. Um, so that was the other part of it. I think uh, once I was able to decide that I'll stay in, in grants management, because I also have an interest in policy. And Kendra, I've always sort of found myself in these positions of uh, just leadership. I'm just a talker and, and I like to solve problems. And that was natural for me at a very young age. I mean, I can remember seeing pictures of myself as a kid with like a clipboard, you know, like I was taking notes mm -hmm. at the family dining room table. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was just always trying to, you know, identify the collective voice, you know, figure out solutions and, and mobilize and organize. And so um, policy is really what spoke to me and working in grants administration allowed me to engage with policy in higher ed in a way uh, that I probably couldn't do in a classroom, right? Um, but I'm able to do both and I'm able to sit at the table to engage in policy to help, you know, develop, you know, policies and again, make uh, institutions more equitable. And that's sort of the area that I, or the approach that I take in my research. I wanna take you back. You, you talked about when you were young, when you were a little girl with mm -hmm. the board and all that good stuff. So you, you pretty much figured out what you liked and didn't like as a child. There's your clipboard, you, you're following, you're looking at people, <laughs> you're analyzing them. Right. Yeah. So as, as a child, um, you know, so I am sort of the poster child for the uh, proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. And so I was raised by my grandparents and a host of aunties and uncles and cousins and other mothers and, and, and community members and, and all of that. And so I, was, I had a very unique upbringing in that I was able to absorb different experiences in different generations. So I'm really old school mm -hmm. uh, being raised by grandparents, right? And so um, I grew up in North Philly and my grandparents uh, had uh, or had a, a garden, a patch of land in the middle of North Philly. Really? 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 Go ahead. Yes. We grew our own produce, you know, and so after school, I would be in the garden picking produce and learning how to clean greens and learn, you know, just all of these different experiences um, that really gave me sort of a, an insight into, you know, again, generational experiences. And so, so are your grandparents from the South? They are from the South. Where are they from? They are from North Carolina. <laughs> either Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. And yeah. they brought their traditions with them. Yes, they and did. They had a garden in the back. So you were picking greens in North yeah. Carolina. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then um, 
it just was an interesting, I think um, once I got to undergrad, um, you know, I, I always sort of wanted to engage in like journalism. And again, this idea of um, reporting and, and investigative, you know, I was a criminal justice major at some point, but I ended up majoring in communication studies and I had a minor in journalism. And so, um, but as I was an undergrad, again, I had assumed some leadership positions and I really enjoyed the identity development of myself and my peers through undergrad. And I established amazing relationships with faculty and just advisors. And the idea of pursuing a doctoral degree, um, you know, engaging in critical discourse and philosophy and sociology and African, you know, African-American studies, I mean, all of these, it really was a hodgepodge of just identity development. And I became fascinated with it. And I said to myself, I wanna do this. You know, um, we're about African-Americans make up about 4% of uh, PhD degree holders. And I, I remember speaking to one of my mentors and saying, well, what do I, how do I start this process? You know, and she sat me down and said, be prepared to be in school for a very long time. <laughs> um, and so from there, you know, this idea of, well, okay, you know, I, I want to be the first in my family to get a PhD. You know, I enjoy engaging with students. I enjoy being able to acclimate and support and, and, and help uh, my peers. And again, I was involved in you know, Black Student Union and just a host of government organizations on campus. And so um, it was really sort of a natural progression from undergrad that I would eventually pursue a doctoral degree. And so tell us about your thesis. Yeah, so I ultimately um, did a study on the experiences of black women, black undergraduate women, black undergraduate women resident assistants. And I wanted to explore sort of the intersectional experiences being black and being a woman, but being a leader. And so what was happening at the time, so I did my data collection in about 2017. And so there were so many headlines in the newspaper at the time, it was like, you know, a banana was found hanging outside of someone's door or um, you know, derogatory statements are being posted everywhere. And so the political climate really shifted how students were engaging and experiencing their collegiate experiences. And so I was an RA in undergrad and I, I can remember speaking with my advisors and you know, choosing a topic. I changed topics um, multiple times during my program, but I wanted to know what it was like to have to you know, um, provide support and to be supportive and to cultivate this leadership experiences for students when you are oppressed, right? And so what does that look like when you're standing in the center of being um, a black woman? Um, and so it was really the only, it was the second study conducted that explored black women RAs at the time. And um, I did receive an award, a commencement award, a distinguished award for my dissertation research and contributions to the field. But it really was sort of, um, you know, illuminating a lot of these hidden um, experiences and um, the, I would say maybe some of the punitive policies that are in place for leaders and taking a look at uh, bureaucracy. And I mean, so many, so many um, uh, challenges that these women experienced. And so I was able to use sort of a black feminist theory and critical theory to explore those. And it was really a remarkable experience. So are there many Black female RAs? 
depending. So my study examined RAs at predominantly white institutions. And so depending on the institution type, uh, there's, a, there's a decent number. Um, the majority of the participants at the institution I selected, yes, there were many. There were many. Really? And yeah, yeah. I mean, because you think about the role of the RA, it's, you know, free room, free board, right? Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, it is a sort of a, you just, you learn so much and, and you get, it's, it's a rewarding experience, but at a cost. Absolutely at, cost, at yeah. a cost. So your, yeah. your room is free. The your room is board free. is free, but yeah. you're kind of like the mother on your floor at sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, you're the judge, maybe a jury. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You rally the troops, you do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Tell us some yeah. findings. What what did you find? Yeah, so I, I found what we, you know, what's consistent in the literature for uh, black students in general and predominantly white institutions. So um, you know, having experience, having oppressive experiences, feeling like there has to be sort of a negotiation of identity, um, having labels associated um, mm -hmm. with uh, leadership styles as Black women and sort of the stereotypes, the cultural construction and the, the mammy and the angry Black woman, right? And sort of these, um, these stereotypes that, that we have to disrupt um, in our practices. Um, and then you found a lot of you know, sort of structural uh, challenges. So, you know, whenever there were appeals or issues were being escalated to administration, there was sort of this tug and war between, you know, whose, whose issues are we highlighting? Is it the student's experience or is it the supervisor's experience? Mm -hmm. And so I think there was a lot of sort of policy, uh, policy challenges in, in, in terms of institution type uh, that, that were identified, particularly in diversity training became a very controversial topic. So many of the RAs didn't feel prepared to engage and, and navigate conversations around you know, race and they didn't have the tools to really talk about some of the issues they were experiencing. Um, and then you had others who just talked about problematic diversity at trainings. Uh, so I guess one example when a training, someone mentioned that the facilitator uh, wrote a bunch of like stereotypes on a piece of paper and threw it into the crowd and then you would pick it up and talk about why, you know, that term was derogative or why, why that was an issue. And so just very problematic um, mm -hmm. sessions and things of that nature. So um, the implications, again, sort of delve into, you know, how can we best prepare and, and take into account of the experiences of Black women in particular, because RAs are typically student leaders anyway, right? And so you want to make sure that you're uh, soliciting their advice and inviting them to the table when you're developing trainings and um, just really centering their experiences. Yeah. So yeah. that leads me to, to some of the questions that I have mm. about cultural conscious education. Mm -hmm. So yes. cultural consciousness in education. Um, yeah. How does that benefit everyone involved? And what happens when when the, it's absent? You know, it. I think this racial reckoning that we're in, particularly now, given the pandemic, given the the murders, you know, just everything in terms of what what we've experienced over the last year alone, it is essential that we center and and, and think about cultural consciousness at every level, 
Um, so higher ed is sort of my focus and the ways in which I think about that are institutionally, it's not really, it, it's, it's kind of rethinking and reframing the entire institution, right? And so identifying ways to cultivate, um, you know, scholars and the scholarship. And, you know, when I look at a syllabus and as I'm developing my own syllabus for my courses, I'm thinking about who am I including? Who am I centering? Mm -hmm. Whose voices am I bringing to the table for the students to, you know, be exposed to? Um, in in pre-K through 12 setting, oh my gosh, I mean, it's, it's beyond the teachings. It's really a structural challenge. And I think when we look at even, you know, punitive policies and suspensions, and we think about it's really how violence is being enacted um, towards our children. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's critically important that uh, we have to have stakeholders at the table who are developing um, curriculum and centering uh, particularly culturally relevant uh, pedagogy into the classroom. Yeah. And you, you mentioned um, high school and, and, you know, the great under high school higher ed, um, mm -hmm. the grade schools, the, the high schools. We didn't have metal detectors and that kind of thing going through. Now yeah. you have to, you have your metal detector, you have your conveyor belt. It's like you're getting on an airplane just to mm -hmm. go to the classroom. Yeah. What kind of environment, what kind of mental state does that put our students in? Yeah, yeah. That's funny, Kendra, you mentioned it. I actually did have a metal detector. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah, because you're, you're a little younger. You're in your <laughs> 40s set. Well, yeah, yeah. And I went to the high school for creative and performing arts. I can't remember if we always had, had that metal detector, but I do remember there being In the high one. school of creative and for performing arts. So we had a metal on stage detector. singing, you're a flautist, so you're playing, <laughs> but you still had to put that flute on. We had to put... Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, um, I think a lot of students are numb to it, right? It's just become um, their way of existing and their way of knowing. And, um, you know, it, it, it does, it, it sends a signal, right? It, it, it definitely sort of reinforces this idea mm -hmm. or this, uh, this just sort of, I don't know, it's, it's, this sort of discourse that uh, you know we have to be policed and and policing in schools, right? And so it, I think it it's, makes it normal to be yeah. policed. Absolutely, absolutely. When, when it's normal to be policed, how how do we know that we need to make a change? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And then you think about you know just. Um, and I think it, it, it does affect the way in which we navigate spaces later. And, and that's a little bit of tied into my journey as well, because I can remember being in professional spaces and still sort of feeling like, I don't know, just having this like target on my back. And, and we feel that as black women anyway, but um, you're sort of socialized um, to think that you can't mess up. You can't ask the wrong question. You can't, and, and I'm used to being the youngest one in the room, you know, one of the only black women in the room. Uh, I started working at the institution where we worked together uh, just a little after a year of undergrad. So I was, I was very young and navigating um, an executive administrator role and being around predominantly, you know, white men and, and having to navigate that space and constantly feeling like I had to 
you know, submit or be perfect or absolutely, absolutely. Um, so it does tie into this sort of social identity that we all develop. And um, I think it's been an interesting journey for me because I'm very intentional in trying to disrupt that and pivot um, in any way that I can and in terms of developing the tools and just absorbing what I can in spaces so that I can leverage that capital, uh, you know, turn it into my benefit <laughs> and then sharing the resources, sharing the resources with the collective. Yeah, I, I think like, and we'll just name the institution, it's Temple. Yes. We love Temple. We love Temple. <laughs> I, I, I was used to being the youngest. When I showed up there, I was the youngest. Uh -huh. and, you know, I had the opportunity to take on different tasks, just move laterally. Yeah. In the network operations center. And I found out that I love project management. So mm -hmm. I was doing project management for IT. Yeah took me out of the office in the computer, right in front of the computer screen. And I was able to start doing planning, but I still knew my basics from being in the network operations center. And mm -hmm. so I was able to navigate those spaces and technology is, a well was, and I hope that this changes a lot, but it's a male dominated field mm -hmm. and at the time it was white male dominated and yeah. there were a few women, but they were all teaching mm -hmm. and, or in help desk. And mm -hmm. I happened to be the person who was able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, the men I found to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I think as long as I didn't know more than they did or uh, yeah. more money than they did, uh -huh. I decided that, you know, they had something I wanted. They had some information that I needed. Yeah, so move forward. So, so I took that. Um, mm -hmm. Navigating the spaces have has been challenging in some yeah. in some instances, but it's a learning experience. And like you said, once you learn, then you want to pass that information on to someone else. And I think because we were in, in higher ed, there's more. It's it's a more liberal space. Yeah, so, definitely. So it gives you more opportunity than you would have had in the corporate space. I, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not cut out for corporate because I'm the, I'm not the tap dance type. I don't want to go to dinner with you after work at nine yeah. o'clock because I want to go home. I'm, I'm just that kind of person. I'm a homebody. So I yep. know corporate wouldn't work for me. But yeah, Fair Ed is a, a wonderful space to work. Yes. Especially you can get a free education. You can get a free education. Your children is, can get a free education. So absolutely. That. Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. It's um so when I came out of undergrad, I I I had a job mm -hmm. at, at State Farm. And then I I said, okay, I have to, you know, set the intention. I, I need to get a doctoral degree. How do I do that? And um, a mentor, you know, I was very adamant about, you know, not being apprehensive, you know, go to the person who has the degree, you know, informational interviews. There's so much value in informational interviews, mm -hmm. right? And not being afraid to just ask the question. Ask the you question. Know. And in my mind, it's, you know, what's the worst they can say? They, they can only say no, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, understanding benefits packages, right? And understanding that, uh, you know, what tuition remission was and, and that I could do this for free. And so 
that was exactly how I ended up landing in higher ed and at Temple because I researched all the local universities. I determined which institution was providing that benefit. And I just started applying. I mean, I think Kendra, my first job at Temple, I had applied to like 30 jobs. And again, this is a year out of undergrad. So I didn't have the experience. <laughs> I had, you know, the leadership experience, but um, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'll apply to 30 jobs. I'll get at least five interviews. One person might offer me a job. And so I started at the Fox School of Business okay. in 2007. That's where I was for about four years. And uh, I started my education, my graduate schooling there. Yeah. yeah. So it was definitely uh, an interesting ride. And throughout the programs, I was able to work full time. I was able to get married and have two children. Um, I'm saying all that with a smile, but it was the most difficult thing that I've ever done. Um, and the challenges, the bureaucracy with the navigating, you know, graduate school, um, it was very challenging. I almost quit a couple times. Um, like I said, I changed my topic. I had some pushback on my topic um, initially. And so identifying the networks and relying on sort of the tribe to support me and mm -hmm. uh, family support and accountability partners within my cohort uh, was really was, you know, what, what drove me to success and being able to complete the program. So let's talk about that resilience. You changed the topic. Yeah. About quitting. Yeah. But you continued on because yeah. you were intentional. You know, you know, I think it's um it's one of these sort of unspoken. No one ever said to me that you can't have children while you're pursuing a doctoral degree, but I think it was just this sense, this third, you know, third sense of the sixth sense of knowing that uh if you're a black, if you're a woman. Um, particularly if you're trying to pursue a faculty career, you know, that you have to, it's, it's intense. And, and working in higher ed, working with faculty, I was sort of privy to that. And I, I was exposed to that in my administrative role. So um, I can remember that I hid my pregnancy for a little while really? um, throughout my grad program. Yeah. And again, no one mentioned it. No one said anything, but I felt like I had to, uh, you know, just be on top of everything and um, I couldn't be weak. I couldn't fail. And so um, there was lots of internal pressure that, that, I, that I had given myself. Um, and I also, again, was met with some resistance. Um, like I said, I focused on the experiences of Black women. And the critical discourse was not necessarily something I was exposed to. Um, there were not many opportunities provided. And so I had to really look elsewhere and get creative and redesign, you know, a sort of... Um, dream team, uh, if you will, of a committee that could sew into me and expose me to the things that I needed, the tools that I needed to do the research that I knew was important and wanted to do, you know, and there's value in, in oh, our experiences. I want to talk about that dream team. Yes. You have to put together <laughs> people who've already traveled the path that you wanted to travel. Absolutely. Yes. Is that not the... I find that to be the most valuable portion of anything that you want to do. Absolutely. Ask the question, why reinvent the wheel? Yes. I tell this story over and over again, and I hope she's watching. I, I don't get to talk to Dr. Marie Amy Taylor very oh. often. However, I came to her so frustrated one day. 
Mm-hmm. I was in meetings and I kept saying, everybody keeps talking over top of me, my boss and his boss. And I'm speaking and then they start talking over top of me. And she said, you've given away your power. And I said, but isn't it rude to cut them off because I'm the subordinate here? She said, you know what you want to say. Mm -hmm. You are the authority in the room for what you're speaking about. Yeah. Don't give away your authority. That's all she said. She didn't tell me to go back and talk over top of anybody or be rude or anything like that. That's all she said. Mm. And intentionally, my next one-on-one, and it was myself and my boss and the Mm. the, Mm. the dean, two men, two men. Mm -hmm. I sat in the seat and as they started talking over top of me, I raised my voice and started talking over top of them. And they listened. They looked a little perturbed, a little (laughs) disturbed. But I I said, I'm going to try it. She said, you know, to not give away my power. Yeah. Before I could get back to my office, when it was over, I got back to my office. Before I could sit down, I was putting my papers down going, I think I just got myself in trouble. I think I just overstepped my bounds. My boss came to the door and he was like, yes, that was the best meeting ever. And you should keep it up. And I was like, oh, all I needed to do was be rude. <laughs> like I said, she didn't say be rude. Yeah. Then where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Giving away your power. Five mm-hmm. words change the trajectory mm-hmm. leadership tenure mm. as a director in that in that college wow wow that's powerful what it would have happened if i had gone to her the year yeah. before yep so once you built your team of people yes. who already go on your journey yes how did that help you it was a breath of fresh air it is exactly what you described. It 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 was it was this um, guidance. It was this you know we're here to support you. Where before I felt there was resistance and sort of a questioning of my um, natural development of inquiry, and um, it, it really was just a different experience. And I think graduate school can be elusive in that way. And so if you don't, if you're anyone watching, <laughs> you're thinking about pursuing graduate school, pursue it, do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so many tips and tricks of the trade that I wish I had known early on in my career. But um, my team was amazing. So I know we were commenting, uh, Dr. Tiff Archie. Hey, Tiff. We love you. (laughs) We love you. Um, I had the navigator. Absolutely. And she specializes in access in equity, access and equity, diversity and inclusion. Absolutely, absolutely. And then higher ed scholars in the program, Dr. James Earl Davis, Dr. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Johnson, Dr. Will Jordan, Dr. Novella Keith were my dream team committee. Yes. And so I just had a really rich and diverse experience. Um, I've learned so much from these scholars, but um, they really did sort of push me Mm-hmm. And, and it was just like a warm hug, the entire experience. And there were moments where I thought I was, am I done yet? And, and they said, no, you know, we're going to push you to greatness. Keep going, you know, get more participants, get more data. And so um, I appreciate that experience. And again, I, oh my God, Kendra, it, I can remember working 
again, I was working full time, but I would get into the office quarter to eight, work until five, and then stay in the office between five and midnight, you know? And so uh, there were days when it was just, it, it was, it didn't seem like I could, I could do it. But uh, again, having that support my husband uh, and family, uh, it, it was, it, it ended up working itself out. So it is a collective degree. <laughs> yes, it is a collective degree. Uh, I, I subscribe to we, not I. And yeah. so, um, you yeah. know, that it, it definitely was a family effort. So, yeah. <laughs> family, community effort. And get a mentor, people. Get a mentor or mentors yes. with an S. Absolutely. It's so worth it. And, Absolutely. And, and talk to other people. They don't have to be your mentor. Just talk to them. Yeah. Figure out what they did to get what you want. Or maybe it's not what you want after you find out what they had to do to yes. get there. But at least you can make a decision mm -hmm. on if you want to move forward with that. Absolutely. I want to go back to the culturally relevant education. Okay. Um, how important is it? And you're the mother of two beautiful daughters. <laughs> yes. How relevant is it? How important is it for them to see themselves reflected in the curriculum? It is of extreme importance. Um, and I can't, I, I, I just can't um, say that enough. You know, I think that there is, there is a power, um, there is sort of a breakthrough. And, and once you learn your history, I can just remember having conversations with friends and my peers and the level of, of cultural history and knowledge that we learned throughout our schooling. I mean, we learned so much more from family. We learned so much more outside and we learned so much more within a collegiate setting, right? And so um, I, 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 I just can't say it enough that we have to be, we have to be the teachers. It has to start at home. Mm -hmm. And so while I would implore institutions and put the pressure on institutions to step up and to, to enact this change. It, it definitely has to start at home. Um, and, and we are very intentional as parents and exposing them to um, nothing else. <laughs> everything that they see, um, everything that they're exposed to, you know, uh, again, just sort of valuing and, and highlighting the cultural richness of our history and our heritage and, and making sure that they see themselves within that. History and heritage. That's Absolutely. Right. You can Absolutely. find me at the at the intersection of culture, community, and technology. So history yes. and heritage, I it builds resilience. Yes. It builds pride. So wherever you stand, mm -hmm. you can stand in that. That doesn't make Absolutely. It, it doesn't mean that things won't be difficult, but you have something to go back to and remember your greatness. And Absolutely. So what, what do you say to the, the people who are watching? Yeah. Um, what do we need to do to ensure that our children are prepared for success? And, mm -hmm. and, and this is twofold because we, I want to talk about success too. What's our yeah. definition of success? Yeah. Um, and how do we make sure that they can show up in their fullness? Fully yeah. Black women, mm -hmm. whatever they are. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? How do we ensure that? So, you know, it, it really is. Um, and I know the question is, is centered on children, but I'll just say this in general, because again, I learned some of this later on in life, but 
I think that there are moments where we think that we can't, right? Or, or we think that we're not supposed to. And I mean, there's still moments where I have a little imposter syndrome and I'm in a space and I'm a little hesitant or apprehensive, but we're in the space. And so we need to take up as much space as we can and, and, and to assert <laughs> and to not give away our authority. Um, so particularly with children, I think it's, it's in the way that we allow them, you know, this sort of freedom, you know, this sort of uh, allow them to question and allow them to think. And I think there's sometimes this sort of cultural, you know, we want to mold and we want to manipulate, um, but just really allowing our children to engage with the world, right? And to, and to have a freedom and to cultivate that identity and to encourage you know, inquiry and questioning and, and you know, it's, it's not, it's not a negative. We shouldn't look at that as a deficit, right? And so, so, so that's a new way of thinking for us because culturally, yeah, black children aren't allowed to question. Certain. Yeah. Now, now well, I'm, yeah. All for, I'm all for the, for the reverence of elders. Yes. Yes. I'm all for putting a handle on an adult's name and not mm -hmm. by their first name. Yes. However, the you don't engage in conversation with this one and that one, and you can't ask this kind of question. I need to see that stop. Yeah. Stop because we're we're waiting for permission. We're yeah. Our power because we're learning different things in different spaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a whole, so in the familial setting, yes. So um, the questioning piece was more so within an educational setting I was referencing, but absolutely within family dynamics and family structures. And I have to just pivot one moment to say, I'm so inspired by your work and your genealogy research uh, and your book. And it really is making me think about projects and things that I, I want to do as well in terms of just um you know, our own sort of familial story and, and, and history and things. But I think it's disrupting toxic behavior is absolutely something that's uh, that's imperative to, and, to ensure. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like an oxymoron because like we're, we're waiting for someone else to toot our horns. And like I said, greatness is all around us. So yeah. we have to tell the story. Absolutely. There, there's a place for humility. But if we don't tell our children, they're looking way out here for our heroes mm -hmm. and they're right around, they're right next to us. Absolutely. They're not here forever. Absolutely. So you have to ask the questions mm -hmm. and record and have all of the information that you can while you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and to get back to the point about, you know, just advice and, and, preparing for success and encouraging success. I mean, I really do think that it's this idea that, you know, no one can make you feel inferior, right? And unless you subscribe to that idea yourself. And so if there's something that you, you want to do or your child wants to do, uh, you know, you figure it out. You just set the intention. If you can say, you know, this is what I want in five years and then work backwards, you know, every week, every month, do something that's gonna get you closer to that goal even if it seems impossible, even if it seems too far-fetched, right? And, and then look at your surroundings. So if you're surrounded around individuals who are not uh, cultivating these dreams and supporting you, um, then you need, a new, you need a new tribe. 
<laughs> and so like can just said, identifying the mentors um, has really been uh, for me uh, critical in, in navigating spaces that are unknown and trying to figure out how can I, how can I assume and continue this research while I'm still kind of working on this other career aspiration and how can I marry the two? And um, I was able to do that through the advice uh, of mentors. And so again, no goal is, is unachievable. It really is setting the intention and getting creative. Sometimes it's not a linear path. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think sometimes there are barriers or just challenges that really aren't challenges, they're sort of arbitrary, right? So, mm -hmm. oh, I'm too old to do this, or I don't have the money to do this, or I don't have, you know, there's so many excuses that we give ourselves. And I think um, that we have to take out the time to strategize and actually research ways around, you know, go through the back door if the front door is closed. Um, you just have to continue to do it and con continue to believe that you can do it um, until it, until it just works itself out. <laughs> Not until it works itself out, but at least, you know, that you've given, you've exhausted every resource uh, that you have at your disposal. Go to the back door. Disposal, yeah. If the front door is closed. Yes. Love that. Yes. By any means <laughs> necessary, right? By any means necessary. So Absolutely. I, that reminds me of, I'm a quotes person and I love stories, but that reminds me of a Dr. Wilma Leon story. He said his mm. grandfather, I think he went to Tennessee State or Mahari, mm -hmm. and then Mahari, I believe, uh, mm. but he was a dentist. Mm. And there was a conference in Louisiana where he was, had a practice, mm -hmm. but it was whites only. Wow. So you know what he did? What did he do? He got a job as a waiter for the hotel wow. that was holding the conference. Mm -hmm. So he's serving food at this conference and listening to all of the new technology in dentistry so he could take it back to his office Wow! and provide new services. For mm. oh. He literally served dinner. So that he could get the information that he need. Talk about back door. By any means necessary. <laughs> yes. so wow. Yeah. He didn't even have to pay for the conference. They didn't want his money. Yep. He got paid for the paid for the night. <laughs> got the information and didn't pay a penny for the course. Ingenious. Wow. And absolutely. The back Abs door. The back door. And that is, and, and thinking about um, just ways of knowing, right? This idea of um, cultural wealth and just having resources and skills and assets and, you know, just different ways of knowing. It's, it is, I think it is absolutely, absolutely a source of strength for us. And we, we, Again, no is not acceptable, right? Rejection is not um, the end all be all. You know, whenever I've, I've been rejected many times, I've, I've, I've gotten no many times, but it is, I take rejection as life's way of saying, come back harder, try again. And so I'll keep showing up and I'll keep, <laughs> you know, I'll keep uh, asserting myself in certain spaces so that I can um, 
you know, get the, the nuggets of wisdom that I need, you know, um, but that, that is just amazing. And I think it's indicative of just how we navigate and how we, how we come to understand in our worldview and in navigating spaces. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you and your husband and your little ones have packed up, left Philadelphia <laughs> and headed for the sunshine. We headed to the sunshine. We are in California, <laughs> reporting live from San Diego. One of my favorite places to visit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, right after, so I defended on March 27, 2019 um, with my uh, doctoral degree and we moved in June. Um, and so, you know, moving was something we had always wanted to do. And it was just a matter of, you know, getting finding the, the, the perfect time to do it. So we're here, we are, we, we are just, you know, my husband and I were very um, impulsive and ambitious individuals. And so having a partner that shares in my crazy, it, it's helpful. <laughs> because Valerie everyone Holby comes, says she's so proud. Oh, thank you, Mom Val. <laughs> That's Your my village. best friend's mother. Village. My village, yes, yes. Um, you know, and it's, again, I think it's one of those, it, it, in terms of setting the intention, you know, we had been talking about moving for a little while, and I don't think anyone thought we would actually do it until we did it. And, you know, now we're trying to get everyone to move out here with us. <laughs> well, so, no, we, is it? like, that's, I love yeah. the West Coast. I, I love California, but yes. like, if I'm, if I move, then the nostalgia will be gone. So we try to visit often. Yes. Yes, you have to let me know the next time. I sure will. <laughs> I sure will. I, I was watching Facebook. I said, wait, she's moved. I've moved. I missed it all. I was like, oh, they're moving quickly. I, that's good, though. Because yeah. you only live once. And if this pandemic hasn't shown us that life is short and you should do whatever is in your heart to do. Mm-hmm. Because what's in your heart is good anyway. Absolutely. Live you your purpose and you have to get out with passion you have to and you cannot live for anyone else you cannot dream for anyone else you cannot make decisions based on anyone else you know and it it and it's I think it's one of the hardest decisions that we've had to make because family is so important to us Mm -hmm. um but again thinking about the overall we can always come back right? So if it didn't work out, oh, we'll just go back. You can always. And so it, yeah, I mean, things, I think it, it really is all about perspective. Things seem much larger uh, than they are. And so um, again, if, as long as you have a, a tribe and a, a village that's supporting you, um, you know, no matter what it is that you want to do, just do it. Just, just do it. Because there are mediocre people doing all the things, you know, I... <laughs> I am, I am a waiting for perfect, right? Yeah, yeah, no, just, you know, you have to, you can't be considered if you're not in the running, right? You can't, you can't enact and change and engage and change if you're not at the table. And so um, it's okay, you know, just, just show up and, and be ready. <laughs> because I, I will tell you every time that I, uh, you know, submit an application or, you know, it's almost like, oh, I'll just submit it. Nothing's going to happen. Um, I mean, nine times out of 10, there's always 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm not ready or I'm shocked at the response because I, I don't think, again, that imposter syndrome, I, I didn't think that it would actually happen. So mm-hmm. uh, just be ready, be ready. You're brilliant, set be ready. Intention. Yeah, set the intention and just go, just live. <laughs> I'm a quotes person, so I'm going to remember it. There are plenty, there are lots of mediocre people doing everything. Yes. <laughs> I have to, I'm definitely. That's all I will say about that. <laughs> but I love that quote. We but, work with them. We, you know, we, it, listen, it, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's I'm so going to write it down and keep it. So I ask every guest, what is your favorite quote? I, I have many, um, I have many, but there's, uh, you know, I think that the one that I sort of subscribe to, the affirmation I subscribe to, um, you know, no one can make you feel inferior without your own consent. I, I read it somewhere at some point in undergrad, and I think it, really resonated with me this idea that um, you know I am my I am my gatekeeper right and so um, as long as I can understand the system you know there are institutional there's institutional oppression these are things that we can't change mm-hmm. um, but I will I will continue to um, put myself in places in which uh, I can compete and I can um, utilize my strengths and utilize my skills and, and bring my voice and bring the collective voice uh, in terms of research to the center, from margin to center. And so that's sort of how I've tried to navigate and live my life. And yeah, it's, it's there are no excuses. You and can we do need, it. We need to be in those spaces because representation matters. Michelle Patterson Wilson says, the Hardaways are an awesome couple. Hi, Sister and Michelle. <laughs> He says, look, I probably needed my reading glasses. And they continue to do great things no matter where they are. We miss you here. Oh. So happy for your family. We miss you too. So my husband and I worked at Imhotep Institute Charter High School. Um, and so, you know, I am because we are, you know, it's it's shout out to Philly and <laughs> yes. um you know, the community back home. I mean, so much of, uh, when we talk about culturally uh, consciousness and culturally relevant education, I mean, that uh, there are a number of schools in, in Philly that subscribe to just an Afrocentric pedagogy and it's critically important. And I had such a rewarding time uh, being part of that institution, so. It's giving you hearts. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, uh, I think we talked. We talked about your grants management. Do yeah. we know much of your grants management? You know, it. I think the the takeaway there is that um, the strategy led me to grants management. You know, I just I needed the I needed someone to pay for school, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so in my journey, I, I fell into a lucrative field in learning grants management, and. Um, I had great, you know, leaders and, and was able to learn a lot and I was able to leverage that experience and it landed me into the current position that I am in today. And so, um, again, I, I think I mentioned that I was sort of in this sort of tug of war between which direction I can go in. And fortunately, I'm able to do both. And so 
I could leverage the experience I gained while pursuing grad school and I'm able to I'm able to engage in research through different appointments and institutional affiliations uh, that I have uh, to conduct the research. So, so you're doing all of that. So I can do, you can do all the things. You just have to figure out a way to do it. You can do all of the things. You can do and it. So yeah. the most important thing, well, I, I called it the most important thing, but I'm assuming just from watching what I see on, on your social media, the most important thing for you is family. And yes. love. so I got a chance to see your wedding oh, yay. on yay. the spirit of Philadelphia. So I was looking at the invitations and my husband designed the invitation that was so nice. He so, did that in 15 minutes. Really? So you He's, added, you added culture. Oh, absolutely. To your wedding and yes. you made it. So it, it was just, you guys. You were having fun. Yeah. It was formal yet informal. Yeah. <laughs> it looked it, it looked so nice and you guys look so happy. Thank but, you. So, but tell me about the Andikra um, symbol, the love never loses its way home. Yes. Was that the Asasiadora symbol? Mm -hmm. Love, love never loses its way. Um, you know, anyone who knows me who's watching. My husband, Nate Hardaway, is just amazing. Uh, and I think that we, you know, um, in planning the wedding, it was it was just fun. And we're just like that. We're very not, we're not very traditional at all. And so we spent the day together. We got dressed together for the wedding. Um, yeah, he designed our invitation in like 15 minutes. He's a graphic, he's a, he went to the University of the Arts for industrial design. So he's a designer. He's yeah. very artistic and you know, we, we were very intentional about um, tying in sort of the cultural traditions that were important to us uh, for the ceremony. And we just wanted to engage in community, we wanted it to be fun. And so that's, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and now I see that with your girls. You just weave, yes. weave it all in. Weave it all in. And, um, you know, and I think it's important to note, as we talked about the and you know the journey and the pivots um family was was of most of the most importance in, in sort of our family plan and we decided intentionally that we wouldn't compromise in waiting to achieve these other goals and so we were able to sort of weave in the milestones and um and that's exactly sort of my next <laughs> in terms of what what's next it's sort of I, I think I've reached a point where I'm comfortable and I will continue to engage in the research, but it's really just enjoying time with family and giving everything that I have into these girls to ensure that, you know, they are uh, just cultivated and nurtured as they should. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's Mr. Hardaway and his ladies. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm watching you guys with your pictures and <laughs> you just you're living life and having a great time thank you and we are fortunate it, it has all your hard work has paid off uh, like you said you're still in spaces yeah and influencing those spaces because that's what you were put here to do yes and so I wish you all of the best we have to do something else there has to be some type of circle something to yes. encourage other people and 
I, I was hoping that Dr. Sears would make it on, but she is so busy these days. Oh my gosh. But yeah, oh. we need to have a conversation. That, yes, yeah. please. That would be, that would be amazing. Uh, Tasha and I, Dr. Sears and I talk often about our uh, graduate pursuits and dreams and life beyond the current positions that we were in. And so just to know that, again, as mothers, as in marriages and balancing the balancing act. I guess that could be its own conversation <laughs> um, because it it does come with its set of challenges. But and yeah, still to show up as yourself, absolutely, and honor who you are at your core. That mm-hmm. authenticity. That's what I love about you guys. It, I mean, you know, we 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 like what we who we are. So. For me, it is about being authentic. Absolutely. And who you are at your core and showing up as yourself in every space. Yes. Yes. That, that is so important. You know, no it, more masks, no more. No more masks. Getting in. Yeah. You, the way that you were created. Right. And then when we show up as ourselves, the world is a much better place. Absolutely, absolutely. And if we're in a space in which we feel like we have to wear a mask, then we need to identify another space because <laughs> that space is not for us. It's, the space is not for you. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to stay there. Um, absolutely. There is abundance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that space is not for you. And you need to realize that where God guides, He provides. So therefore, go ahead, follow your heart. Absolutely. Just practice courage. You can Mm -hmm. be afraid. But if you take courage with you, then fear has to take a back seat. I'm reading Melissa Gilbert's Big Magic book. Mm. She talks about fear. Mm. Fear and ambition go together, she says. Yes. And they allow, they have a contract with fear. Fear can can ride. They can he, he can never drive. Yes. Touch the radio. He can't say anything. And I thought that was <laughs> great. I was like, I love this book. Love that. So uh, big magic, everybody. You should, you should read it. I have to, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> I love that. She, she just put fear in this place. Yeah. Acknowledge yeah. that that fear is going to be there, but that's it. Fear has no say. That's right. Acknowledge that you're here. Now, here's what's in the contract. You can't say anything. You can't drive. You cannot touch the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was just perfect. For Absolutely. People who are moving forward, especially after this pandemic. Um, yes. People are trying to recalibrate, make the pivot that they need. It's okay yes. to be afraid. Mm-hmm. But take courage with you. Let courage lead. Yes. Let courage lead. And, and as you mentioned, you know, if, if anything else, this pandemic has illuminated how short this life is. And so, you know, just just take a step and lead with courage, as you said. And there will always be fear, but you know that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so when we show up, we're never alone. Yeah. We're never so, alone. So that is my last question for everyone. You said you stand on the shoulders of giants. Who are those giants for you? Because I always ask, on whose shoulders do you stand? Because none of us have gotten where we are 
without the shoulders of someone else? Oh my goodness. I, you know, again, because I, there's so many, the shoulders of my family, but the black women in my family, <laughs> you know, I, I've learned the way in which I've learned to navigate and to, to find my voice and to hone in my voice and to be confident um, has really been cultivated by just uh, the women uh, that I have been so fortunately to be surrounded in. And so I think I stand on their shoulders. And I, again, I hope not to take anything away from the men or anything like that, but I think it's, you know, we have a very unique experience in how we navigate the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, which is why I center my research on Black women. And I am, I just have an affinity towards young Black girls and young Black women. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I stand on the shoulders of those women. <laughs> and I'm sure your shoulders for other women to come. Diane Jones says she loved that fear can ride, but it cannot drive. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, once you started, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. It does. So, it does. I love it. All right. So uh, are there any questions for Dr. Hardaway? I think they're they're done, but I, I want to thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for That's having so me. Since we had a chance to talk. So this was awesome. It has. It's and been such a long time. Forward to talking to you again. Again, yes. we need to have a circle. We, we really need to have a circle. And we do. Just have a, a nice conversation. So like I said, Absolutely. Dr. Archie needs to be on. Yes. <laughs> on have a really good time and, and discuss. Yes. Or in context. Yes, um, that would be amazing. Diamond Joe says, I love Dr. Hardaway. Hi, I love you too. <laughs> but yeah, so um, um, I usually ask people where they can reach you, but for you, that's a little different. So if anything is going on, please let me know. And we yeah. will definitely share yeah your audience is here they're listening okay but absolutely I, i'm glad that you were able to come and share thank you for having during black history month yes and we're going into women's history month and mm -hmm. you know you're at the your your research is at the intersection of black women yes and absolutely and mm -hmm. yeah we're gonna have to have you back on yeah, yeah, and hopefully there will be there will be more publications forthcoming this year from me. So I've I've had the um, I'm so fortunate again with the tribe and sort of the research collaborations. I'm able to work on some amazing teams. So I'll definitely post those. I'm not so you know I'm, I'm accessible, so I don't think of myself as someone that has like a, a following or anything. <laughs> so if you want to reach me, I'm here on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, but just, just keep us posted because absolutely because the research that you do is just phenomenal, and we're we're raising lots of black girls. Yes, and yes. so just to be armed with the information that we need to make sure that they are receiving that that cultural conscious 
education and that we can empower them to show up as their full selves Mm -hmm. with pride in who they are. Yes. It's much needed. Yes. And I thank you for your work. I thank thank you for your time. And I love you. And I'm just so glad to see Thank you for having me. Just following your dreams anytime. Yes. This has just been like a warm hug. And I think that, uh, (laughs) again, like I said, you you have inspired me in ways that you don't understand how. So I will definitely uh, be in touch with you soon regarding some other projects. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Don't forget, you can find Dr. Hardaway online. She's not hiding. And not hiding. And when her publications come out, we will let you know. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dream Aloud with Kendra. If you like the show, leave a review and tell a friend. I also invite you to join our Dream Aloud Facebook group where we encourage and challenge our members to step outside of their comfort zone and live limitless lives. I guarantee you, you will experience true fulfillment when you live, work, and play your way.